Welcome to the first Los Angeles edition of Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the Today on Sagittarian Matters, we give valuable advice on how to quit your job. First, I have a roundtable discussion on the subject with career counselor and friend to artists Beth Pickens, plus queer filmmakers Chris Vargas and Greg Yeomans. Then I visit musician Tara Jane O'Neill and get her unique perspective on the matter. Finally, my friend Rocco Cayotos retells my favorite tour story about a time he almost got beat up or did get beat up in Missoula, Montana. Oh my god, you're having an advice podcast? That's amazing! Anyways, I just saw your post on Facebook. This is your Facebook friend, Matt Crean, and I actually do need advice. I need advice about how to quit my job tomorrow. Um, I got a new job. I accepted the job I'm quitting about less than a month ago. I absolutely hate it. It's not what I thought it was going to be like. And I have to go in there tomorrow and quit. And I want to make it as stress and as pain-free as possible for both me and my supervisor. Please help, Nicole. You are literally my favorite advice giver, columnist, now podcaster. Thank you. All right. The question is from Matt. It is regarding how to quit a job. What does he do? This is really simple. People tend to overthink leaving a job. But what we forget is the only thing we owe a job is labor as described in the job description. And the only thing a job owes us is a paycheck. It's actually a quite simple exchange that we make complicated through human interactions. The thing you do is show up, walk into your supervisor's office and say, this isn't a good fit for me. And so I'm putting in my two weeks notice. What if he he has to leave that day? He has to leave that day? Yeah. I didn't get that in the question. Oh, sorry. You shouldn't do that. That's inappropriate. What happened to a two-week letter of resignation? You have to give two weeks when you're leaving a job because that's what you do as a professional adult in the world. And make sure you have your uh, Rolodex already in your bag because they might <laughs> walk you back to your nice Rolodex. I, I know you have a very full Rolodex. <laughs> I never recommend leaving a job with less than two weeks. How much would you leave Unless out? it's a, a, like a sort of a minimum wage job that's kind of a filler in your life that has a high turnover. Any other job that's more advanced than something in your career or something that you think, I could be doing this for a little while. To be a professional person in the world, you have to give two weeks notice. You do not have to give more than that. But to give less than that signifies that you're not a professional worker. And it is discourteous to your coworkers. Discourteous. Um, Greg, do you have anything to say? The only time I did it without notice is when I was a seasonal employee of Banana Republic <laughs> and it was hell and I was very happy to give them no notice whatsoever. I've been fired from many of jobs. You so have? I've yeah. had a lot of opportunities. Can we talk about this for one second? So Chris and Greg are both college professors now. Now? Well, you don't work at Banana Republic anymore. No, no more. <laughs> um, Chris, can you tell me the top three times you've been fired and for what? Um... Probably because I'm a bad worker, but I got fired from a bar backing job because probably I was hanging out too much and talking to people and not picking up glasses fast enough or cutting lemons. It was hell. Um, And then I 
this maybe wasn't technically another firing, but I like took a two week vacation that turned into like a three month vacation and the job <laughs> wasn't waiting for me when I came That's back. That's like two weeks notice. That's good. <laughs> and oh God, when else have I been fired? I've just been asked to not come back, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, semantics. It's like a video editing job that I thought I was doing really well at, but it turned out. Please don't come back. Yeah. Please, please don't come we back. We no longer need you. Well, I mean, I've never been fired from a job. I've left, I've quit jobs. And I've been a supervisor many times in lots of different situations. I think if the person, like I said, if the person is in a job that is not sort of how they conceptualize a throwaway job, a temporary filler thing, but is indeed something that is a career potential or the career they want to be in, the appropriate thing to do is give two weeks notice. Thanks, Beth. It's important as workers to keep our sides of the street clean. Yeah. You never know who's going to circle back in your life someday. It's true. You I never have know. Many, yeah. many examples where I could have really burned bridges because I hated those bridges originally, hated those people on the bridge and <laughs> could have burned it out of spite. But no, like seriously, as I become, as a late stage Capricorn realizing my career potential, um, shit really does come back. Like the person that I, I hated most when I went to um, an unnamed college that I went to, turned out to actually get me the job kind of because of connections not really but you know he was like a uh, unofficial reference for me oh yeah you know, you know oh for sure people will be like hey I met somebody who knows you and then they'll say a name we are like oh my god I was on a hiring committee for that person eight years ago people and, be like that all the time yeah um, I have been fired from a produce market where I had been late and my boss pulled me into the back room and he was like, are you trying to gross me out? When your friend Marcy worked here, she was late all the time. She tried to gross me out. Are you trying to gross me out? What does that mean? Great question. I was like, I'm not trying to gross you out, Rick. I'm so sorry. I just got lost. He's like, okay, you're on my team? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, great. And we, he did knuckle, knuckle Oof. daps or knuckles touch. And I was like, I'm on your team. And then the next day I overslept. Oh, and then so when I called... When I called, <laughs> when I called in the manager, I think his name was Rusty. Was like, "Sorry, Rick told me to tell you not to come in if you were late." And then his wife called me on the sly and said, "I think it would mean a lot if you came in and asked for your job." And as I was walking in, she was like, "It never hurts to cry," and she winked at me. Oh wow! So I went in and I started crying because it was authentic. I was like, "Please don't fire me!" And then he fired me anyway. And later, I found out that the hippie, Sean, whom I had had a contentious CD player relationship with. Because I barely know how that went. Because my Ramones CDs were significantly shorter than his String Cheese Incident CDs. And if I was serving a customer and it was my turn, he would see that I was busy and race over and put in a jam band CD. That would last forever. And we didn't like each other. So when I was late, he talked to my boss and was like, you're going to let her do that to you? You're going to let her make you look like a fool like that? Oh, oh, sexism. Sean. We see you. We see you. <laughs> anyway, and I was sad for a long time because I felt like I was getting forced out of a family, which I didn't know at the time was a pretty sensitive thing for me. Um, years later, I was in the same airport security line with Rick, my old boss, and his wife and their kids. 
and we kept like being stuck next to each other in the oh. cattle thing and he was like hey what are you doing where are you flying you going to Frisco that's where I'm going I was like I'm not going to Frisco that's not a place don't call it Frisco laundromat <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I've been fired from anywhere else that I can say I mean I'm also a person who says work is for jerks jobs are for quitting but I think we have to think about having personal integrity and the kind of people we want to be. So if this job is just, you don't like it and it's not what you thought it was going to be, but they are not abusive. They are not harming you in some unprofessional way. Then you owe professional courtesy. Well, as we were saying off mic, I think the guy really had not his mouth full like I do. <laughs> um, he already had the material. He was miserable and it wasn't what he thought it would be. So, whatever, just go in with that. Of course, I could never do that. I would dodge or evade or be like, oh, look, I have to go on tour tomorrow. I've got this really great opportunity for my artistic life tomorrow. So, thank you. What were the jobs that you had? Um, you worked at the movie theater. Yeah, I was the popcorn girl for... <laughs> <laughs> I was a popcorn girl for seven years. And I think I worked less than, like, 70 shifts. That's fair. That's good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a popcorn girl and the janitor at the movie theater. You get more pay for the janitor. Oh. Yeah. Deal with some really foul stuff. Like After animation festivals. Yeah. You want to hear this? Yeah. All right. Um, you know, people bring a lot of booze into the theater. They want to watch fast cartoons and drink a lot. And then they get sick. And so cups full, soda cups full of, like, red wine vomit and things like that. (laughs) They want to stay in the theater after they got sick? I don't know if they stayed later, but they left offerings, their vomit. (laughs) They left that there after they split. So, yeah, I did that. I was a janitor at Max Fish. I feel like I made my best records when I was working as a janitor, actually. Um, I put this in my comic, but when I was dating friend of both of ours who is a musician mm-hmm. and she was having co- the career blues I would yeah. always be like I would still love you if you were a janitor that's a great job you should be a janitor and she was like you can't keep telling me to be a janitor because <laughs> 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 I'm a musician and it, I, I'm starting to think you actually want me to be a, you would prefer if I was a janitor and I was like I don't know I mean, you would you? Of, maybe if she'd stop com- complaining <laughs> about complaining <laughs> complaining. <laughs> well, I don't want this to be a slam. Slam. Podcast. No, all musicians complain about the plight of being a musician, just like poets. Oh, yeah. Poets always write about the condition of being a poet. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. I have noticed that. Um, musicians, we just complain about troubled times, which are all the times. Janitor's great. Um... I could see, you know, you being like, I'd love you even if you were a janitor. Well, because she it feels was, very lowly. But she was like, I can't believe I have to take a day job. And I was like, are you kidding? I would do any day job. Here's a list of day jobs I would do. And then one of them, I was like, you should be a janitor. I was Because she was like, you know, I, I have to work at a call center. Oh, the, the horror. And I was like, that sounds great. Mm. You're working indoors? Yeah, no, that's why I was a janitor. Yeah. <laughs> no responsibility other than, it was very direct. There's something on the floor. You pick it up. Yeah. That's all you have to do. And you don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to talk to anybody. You're not convincing anybody of anything. You just pick up the problem. Yeah. And then it's gone. And then you don't really think about it. I think I thought about the vomit cups a couple times after, (laughs) but usually I didn't take my work home with me. No. 
That being a night stockman at New Seasons is another one of the fallback jobs in my head. Did you do that? No. It's one of the jobs I would do. And when I feel sad about being a cartoonist or working for nonprofits and I feel poor and I drive by the grocery store in the middle of the night, I'm like, I could do that. That's really great to have that fall black. Fall black. I used to keep a list in my wallet of jobs I could do if everything fell apart. Really? Yeah. Like all the jobs I can do so I'll never be homeless. I have like homeless scarcity even though I've never technically been homeless. Yeah. I feel that. I'm noticing though as I advance in age and also I live in this really beautiful place that my list for fallback is getting really, really short. What is a fallback plan? Well, I don't really have one right now. It's always been like, okay, worst comes to worst, I'll move to an ashram. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's been in place since I was 17 or 18. Um, but right. now I actually like to live my life on my own terms. Mm-hmm. Maybe not an ashram. I don't know if I could be a janitor again. Maybe I could. Maybe I could. I don't know. I'm just saying my tolerance is getting lower and lower. As I work less... <laughs> Your tolerance for work is getting lower? Yeah. Will you tell people how you make money now? Well, it's it's a collage piece. <laughs> this is important and valuable. I know, I know. Do you remember the game Frogger? Of course. I think about it every time I drive down MLK. That makes sense. It's like you jump onto the little rocks, so it's like here's a little gig, here's $100, and then all you got to do is just wait for the right moment and then you jump on the other one and then eventually you get off the stream over on the other shore don't you and Frogger? Mm-hmm. yeah and you get across the street but you then actually you have to do get it again over I know well that's Sometimes. the thing about life so yeah the guy just go in there and speak your truth or make up a total fantasy <laughs> I'm so sorry but my grandparents just died at the same time yeah both of them killed themselves oh shit I just remembered one job I had for less than 24 hours this is how I did it I needed a job when I was 17 or 18 in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I got a job as hostess at a pizza place called Anthony's by the Bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I realized I'd made a terrible mistake after I'd been hired and put on a whole show to get hired. And so the only thing I could do, like I couldn't not, for some reason this seemed, like I could have just ditched. They didn't know me. Mm -hmm. There was no internet or cell phone. They couldn't find me. Instead, I found it easier to get in full drag, man drag, uh-huh. and go to my first shift at this, like, suburban Italian joint, <clears throat> night spot, as this guy had, like, a little John Waters mustache, <laughs> I had this very ill-fitting man clothes, my hair was slicked back. And you were like, if I'm a gender weirdo, they're gonna... Yeah, all I had to do was walk in, and they're like, jaws drop, like, uh... I think there's a misunderstanding here. He's like, oh, okay. And then I left. That was it? That was it. So that's, that's it. That's it. Go do that. Go as a different gender. <laughs> go as a performatively different gender. Yeah. By surprise. By surprise. And see what happens. You don't even have to put up a fight, probably. <laughs> just walk in like that. You're just like, do you want to discriminate oh. against me? Okay. All right. Then, yeah. Great. Cool. Done. Thanks, Tara. Montana on tour 
I was in a rap group called The End of the World. What year was it? It was, uh, fuck, it was like 2002, I want to say. Couldn't have been any later than 2002. My, my rap group consisted of me um, and another guy and a butch lesbian. We all dressed up. He and I wore uh, black suits and pink shirts. Um, I was really early into my gender transition and I sometimes passed really well and other times uh, confused people. We were playing at a bar that a bunch of, I think a bunch of young lesbians had brought us there. We had played the year before. I was on tour with some writers, uh, I can't remember who else, some, a couple poets. Michelle T was the person who booked all of it. And the people who brought us had been involved in bringing us the year before. Um, so... We walk into the bar before to go to soundcheck, and you have to walk through this, like, towny kind of grisly dude bar to get upstairs to the venue. And when I walked in, I was in a suit. Uh, I had some kind of shitty pompadour, like it was falling. It was multicolored. And a gentleman, like a wizened old guy, didn't even look away from his beer, just side-eyed me and said, You probably should have just stayed home. <laughs> And then I was out, I I was terrified at that point, because I'm like 5'3", little, like, in-between genders, <laughs> like, obviously, like, not somebody from Missoula, Montana, and, or somebody that hung out at that bar, and, uh, <clears throat> and then I walked outside to tell my bandmate, please walk in with me, I think that I'm going to be gay bashed, <laughs> <laughs> And as I'm walking outside, someone drives by and is like, fucking dyke! And I was like, cool, this is going to be a great night. <laughs> so then we go upstairs for the show, and the show's happening. Michelle starts it. Um, she's hosting the whole thing, saying, wow, so cool. I love your creepy little town. And they were like, fuck you, our town's not creepy. So then two, like, angry butches get on stage, take the mic from her, and are like, fuck you. Our town's not creepy. You wrote about our town and said we were creepy. And Michelle was like, no, no, I said that taxidermy is cool and creepy. I appreciate it. And they were just pissed. So they had this crazy vendetta, and that's why they brought us and booked the show. Was it a complete, it was a complete ambush. Did you not know that I part? didn't know that the whole thing was an ambush. It was an ambush. So then they get pissed, and one of them is like, you big city dykes think that you can come here and talk about our small town well I'll tell you what I'm from New York I just live here now and I don't care it's not creepy it's like just fucking wasted totally upset on the verge of tears but also totally enraged um, so then she walks downstairs and at the time Michelle is my girlfriend and I felt protective so I followed her because I wanted to have a reasonable conversation and just be like please like Please be reasonable. Because then they encouraged everyone to leave and everyone was confused. Like, oh my God, these big city dykes talk shit about us. We should go. And then everyone started booing and it was this whole crazy mess. And Mates of State, the band was playing after us and they were like, whoa, we Can had we nothing. describe how different Mates of State is than that? They're like heteronormative USA. Yeah, It's like a, totally. two, like a blonde, straight, white guy and girl. Uh -huh. They're married. 
They sing together in harmony over an organ. Yeah. And, I love uh, Knights of State, but that's just a little context. Yeah, and so they had no idea what was happening. They were just like, oh my gosh, what's happening? We're not a part of this drama. Stay for our show. <laughs> like, they just wanted to be not involved. So then I walk down and I'm like, hey, you guys, let me t- try and explain to you. She just wrote that article, blah, blah, blah. They're like, oh, fuck you. So then we reach the <laughs> bottom of the stairwell. I've never been in a fight in my life. I'm very like... I'm hot-headed, I'm Italian and Greek, I get into a lot of arguments, and I'm an asshole sometimes, but I've never been in a physical fight. Um, so we walk down the stairs, these two, uh, these two butches are much larger than me in every way. I'm 5'3", probably weigh like 130, they're uh, each about like 5'8", maybe a little taller, and really big girls. And they, um, one was like, Fuck you. I fucking hate Michelle T. Pounds the wall. And then I (laughs) am standing above them on the stairwell. And one side of the stairwell is a door to the bar where I was told that I should have probably stayed home. And the other way (laughs) is a doorway to the outside area where the bouncer watched someone say fucking dyke and then whip back around in their car and did nothing. So I'm trapped in the stairwell with these two enormous angry lesbians and um, my, none of my options are good. So I was like, fuck, I guess I'm... Then one pinned me against the wall. Well, I forgot to mention, too, that I'm my, my uh, tragic attire for the evening was also like a... It's a three-piece suit. It wasn't just a suit. So <laughs> good, it was like, like a vest situation, too. It was really bad. Adjacent to the 90s. It anyway, sounds good to me. No, it was terrible. Okay, it was okay. disgusting. Um... So one reaches, pins me against the wall, and the other one's like, you don't know, I used to be a boxer in New York City. You think I'm a small town, stupid dyke? I'm not. I just live here, like, so angry about the town, but also angry at us for uh, being misreading what was being said about the town. So then she raises her arm up, but she's drunk and I'm not. And so I managed to wriggle out from the one girl's grasp and then take my fist and got one shot in. I hit her nose and I came in a downward motion and then she just started bleeding. It was the only time I've ever hit someone physically. Like, well, obviously. Except in a relationship. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Gotta edit that out. (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) I would never hit a woman except these two women. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, anyway. But it's only because I was still kind of a woman. So you hit this lady. <laughs> this is getting worse and worse. It's so complicated. Back up, I was back up. red as female, but I had been on hormones for about six months, I think. That's fine. It's fine. Okay. I still had tits, and I still have a vagina, just for the record. It's good. This is getting better. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'll call this episode. <laughs> oh, my God. So then I hit her nose, and then she... Um, reaches back, grabs me by the vest, (laughs) rips my vest off, and the buttons are like, boing, 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 like bouncing off the wall. And then the other one's got me in a chokehold, and I managed to, like, wriggle myself into the bar, and we're like, help, help, there's two of them and one of me. And one guy said, the little guy can't take two women. And I was like, no, please help. Call for help. And then I tried to, like, go out to the bouncer. And they're holding me in this little area. And I'm, like, trying to 
muscling my way out of their grip. And I was like, please help, please help. And no one would help me. So somehow I managed to like swing the door open and then the three of us were outside and then they lost hold of me and I ran back upstairs, scurried back upstairs to the show. At that point, Michelle is processing with the entire remainder of the audience about how fucked up she is and how someone was going to call a bomb threat on us. Like people were getting crazy. So then I was like, I've I've been attacked. <laughs> Look at me. They ripped my shirt off. And Did you and jump I, on stage or you just parted the crowd and just sort of I screaming? parted the crowd. It was a thin crowd because everyone had left because they were so upset. Okay. Um, so the four or five people that were left, I was like, they just attacked me. I was really, I mean, and they had just been on stage. So everyone saw that it had happened. Yeah. Um, so I was attacked and I survived. And then I think like three or four people stayed for our show. I didn't want to perform. I was like, I don't want to perform. I just got beat up. But I, you know, I was dramatic. So. And then Katie, who was on tour with Mates of State, went outside and a lesbian was peeing on their van. Oh my God, really? Yes, because she thought it was yours. Oh. <laughs> One of the lesbians was using her vagina like, to remember. pee on the van as if, God. like, I don't even know if she was, like, holding it up or, like, I'll show you. We're not creeps. We're not creeps. <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, is and it was the all, story. Wait, it was all because Michelle wrote this article for the Believer magazine all about how cool she thought Missoula was, that they had this mobile, um taxidermy situation like you know like the bookmobile but it was taxidermy mobile so it was like all of these enormous bears in this trailer that we drove by and she was like this is the coolest and creepiest place ever they have taxidermy inside a trailer and they drive it around for kids to see and um yeah and then they thought that she was calling them creeps and then they proved that they weren't creepy they set us up too and we had yeah that's nice did they pay you? No, we didn't get paid. I see. We got paid in, in punches and harassment. When I went to Missoula, this is not... I would love to go back. I was not there that time. Missoula's cool. But when I went there, they were having their vote on whether or not gay people should get discriminated against or not. Yeah. Um, whether or not it should stay in the law that you could discriminate against someone for being gay or trans. Yeah. And so the night that we were there was the night the verdict was being read. But so there were a lot of people on either side on the news and the gay people won and they all showed up. Well, all the, all the anti-gay people had signs that said things like, um, not in my bathroom. <laughs> it was like Why? about gay people having sex. And then the gay people chose the slogan, homo no chomo. Chomo being a shortening of child molester. So, like, <laughs> having those two words together. So, all these gay people showed up to our show after the vote with all these homo no chomo shirts. Oh, my God. And we were like, I don't know if that's the wisest slogan. No. It's not. Um, but then the rest of tour chomo was, like, our a, a term we were trying to use. Um, yeah. Chomo. Chomo. Um, also, L- Like, when are... college students would try to hit us, we're like, I'm not a chomo. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do it. Because of the age difference. Yeah, because yeah, of the age difference. I get it. Because we were um, being respectful, because we're respectful out. citizens. You aged out from mm-hmm. being able to sleep with college-aged people. Yeah. Um, also, Missoula, Montana is home to the Testicle Festival. Excuse me? Uh, it's a festival where they celebrate bull testicles in um, uh, like an eating contest. Sort of like the Coney Island hot dog eating contest. Oh, yeah. But uh, see how many Rocky Mountain oysters someone can knock back in a timed manner. Wow. Well, I don't know if this is repairing either of our relationships with Montana, but I thought it was very, <laughs> thought it was very beautiful there, and I liked our 
our crowd that came after they won that thing. Yeah, the first year that we came, so that was the second year we when we came back and that happened. But the first year we came, it was such a sweet and lovely place. And that was actually how Michelle started the whole night was like, you guys, I'm so happy to be here. This is such a sweet community and thanks for inviting us. And then that all went down. We hate you! Yeah. Um, that's always been one of my favorite stories. The Mates of State part is a really special bonus and you your head going into the bar being like help i'm being attacked <laughs> and they're like oh great is the other part um, i'm glad you survived sagittarian matters is produced by chris sutton with assistance by ponyo georges our theme music is composed by carolyn pennypacker riggs of the band bouquet thank you for listening and i'll see you next time